Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was explaining the verses found in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. I was explaining the different ways that these verses can be interpreted. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. In the previous program, I was explaining the importance of recognizing, of understanding that this is either referring to an unbeliever or this is referring to a believer. If this is referring to a believer, then a person is either going to lose their salvation and never be able to receive it again, or this means that a person has received salvation, and if they do fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to the point of salvation, because if that was possible, it would require the re-crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And so in that sense, a person's salvation, if they are a believer, has to be secure, because the Lord Jesus is obviously not going to come and die again for people's sins. If this is referring to an unbeliever, then it's really easy. All we have to do is say that a person cannot be brought again to the point of salvation because they never received salvation to begin with. You cannot bring a person to the point where they were never at before. If they've never been there, you cannot renew them again to a point where they never were because they never were there to begin with. And so you cannot expect the Lord Jesus to be re-crucified because his crucifixion was never really embraced before. That's another way that people look at it. I don't believe that that's what it means, but that is a way that people look at it. Now, from the perspective of believers, if we were to say that this is referring to believers, again, there are two ways to look at this. The first way is to say that a person cannot be renewed again to the point of salvation because they sinned too much. They fell away. They're done. They can never experience a relationship with God ever again because of their sin. Well, how much sin is too much? I mean, how much will it really take? No one knows. No one can define that. Is it habitual? Is it non-habitual? What do these things mean? They mean absolutely nothing. Either the wages of sin is death or it's not. Either sin is evil or it's not evil. You have got to decide. You have got to choose what you're really going to believe concerning the importance and the seriousness of sin and the importance and the seriousness of the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus provided for us. Those are choices that have to be made. But if we assume, if we assume that this is referring to a person who fell away, then what do the following verses have to say? What do the verses after Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 6 have to say to us? Consider, for example, Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. In verse 7, it is written, 
For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. All right, so if that's the case, if that's referring to someone who fell away and cannot be renewed again to the point of salvation, if that's what the writer was intending to say, if that's what he was referring to, then we could say, look, you were saved, you received salvation, and then you went out and worked. You worked in the sense of living your life. You worked in the sense of either you're going to repent and obey, or you're not going to repent and you're going to disobey. That's the kind of work that people will engage in as they engage the world that they are a part of. And if they bring forth useful vegetation, or if they bring forth fruit, is what people will normally say, if they have a fruitful life, if they have an abundant life of good works, of an expression of godliness, of holiness, if that's the case, then we would say that this person is going to then be blessed by God because of their repentance and obedience. And if they don't, if they fall away, then their life is going to bring forth thorns and thistles, those things that are useless, and so they are going to not only be close to being cursed, but they're actually going to be cursed, because the end of it all will be to be thrown into the fire to be burned. Again, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, it says, For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So if that's the interpretation, then you had better make sure that you never fall away. If you ever fall away, you will be cursed and burned. And if you do not fall away, then you will eventually receive a blessing from God. Well, if that's what the writer was intending to say, if that was really his intent, if that's true, then how much work do you need to do in order to ensure that you produce enough good fruit, especially in comparison with the thorns and thistles of a person's life? How much will be necessary? How much can you really do? And are you truly the person who should be evaluating whether or not you've got enough fruit in your life in comparison with all the thorns and thistles? Are you truly going to be a good judge of your own character, of your own sinfulness, of your own righteousness? Are you truly going to be the one who's going to pass good judgment concerning that? Well, of course, no one is going to say that they will. However, my point is, is that how do you know? How will you know? You will never know. You will never know if you bring forth enough useful vegetation. You will never know if you bring forth enough fruit. You will never know if you don't have too many thorns and thistles in your life. You're never going to know that, and so you're going to live in total absolute uncertainty concerning your position with your God between now and the day that you die and receive his appropriate evaluation of your life. You know, this is not the only place that this is described in the scriptures. There's another place where this is described in the scriptures, and that's in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord gave his description concerning the blessings that you will receive from God. As it says here in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 7, at the end it says, you will receive a blessing from God. And then he also said 
in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that if you do not obey, then you will receive the curses of God, which corresponds to verse 8, that is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 8, where you will be close to being cursed, and in fact, you will end up being burned. And so there's a very strong parallel between Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, and Deuteronomy chapter 28 with respect to the law. In fact, I believe that that's what the writer of Hebrews is intending to say, and that is that if you're going to live a life of works, of righteousness, of tilling the soil, of working out your salvation in the sense of avoiding sin and doing those things that are righteous and holy, as are, of course, defined by the law. If that's what you're going to do, then you need to live in accordance with that. And if you do, then these are the two choices that you have. The first choice is, is that you're either going to be completely obedient to all the commandments, or the second choice is, you're not. And you will be held accountable to that because you are responsible for all of your sins. You commit sin because you want to. You do that which is right and holy because you want to. You will be held accountable for your sins. And if you haven't noticed, you're still sinning. You're still sinning in various ways. And so if you are, then you are not obeying all of his commandments and you will definitely be cursed you will live under the curse of God because you will never be obedient to all of the commandments and so you will never receive any of the blessings that the Lord your God has offered to you if you actually are obedient to all of his commands. That's the point. And so if that's the case, then how should we read this? How should we read these verses in Hebrews chapter 6? Well, if we take it from that point of view and say that if you fall away, it is impossible to renew you again to repentance, and here, watch out. For example, if you sin too much, you're going to have too many weeds in your life, and so you're definitely going to be cursed. But if you will drink the rain that has fallen upon you, and your soil is good, and you work it hard, then you will eventually receive a blessing. If that's the case, you're never going to get it. Because you're never, if you're going to be honest, you're never going to get all of the sin out of your life as was demanded by your God. Now, I explained in the previous program that I believe that the writer was intending to say something completely different. I believe he was intending to say in verses 4 through 6 that your salvation is secure, that it is impossible for you to lose your salvation because you cannot be renewed again to a point of salvation, because if that was the case, then Jesus would have to die for your sins again. But he's not going to die for your sins again, so your salvation is secure, because what he did before was enough. It was adequate, it was more than adequate, to deal with the entire sin of the entire world. And so if that's the case, then how could I read verse 7 and 8? How does it fit? How would we apply this in our life? How can we say that we are secure in our salvation And now go out and work your soil, work your ground, work your life to ensure that you are obedient so that you can be blessed. Otherwise, you're going to be cursed. There is no way to make that fit. There is no way to reconcile the interpretation that I believe between verses 4 and 6 with verses 7 and 8 if we make the assumption that they are to be reconciled together, that they are working together in conjunction with one another. And that's the point. 
That is, that I do not believe that these verses are connected, but that they are actually disconnected. And the reason why I say that these verses are disconnected is because of what the writer says in verse 6. What he said in verse 6, I believe, disconnects verses 7 and 8 from verses 4 through 6. And this is how it works. And that is, in the beginning of verse 6, he said, And then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. It's the word impossible that makes the disconnect. And this is how. If it was possible... Then go on into verse 7 and 8 and see what the conclusion would be if it was possible to renew a person to a point of repentance to be saved again. If it is possible, then we have another situation that we are to deal with. So I believe that this is the point of division that separates verses 4 through 6 from verses 7 through 8. You see, if they were in conjunction, if they were to be brought together, then there's no way to reconcile security of salvation with that because you are encouraged to live a life of holiness and righteousness, a life that you definitely cannot live because you are not created to live a complete, absolute, sinless life. You are created to live a life of being dependent on your God, a completely different life entirely. That's not what I'm going to talk about in this program, but I'm mentioning it because I want you to understand that you can either live a life of complete total obedience or you don't. It's one or the other. Again, there is a disconnect that happens between these verses found in verse 6. If it was actually possible to renew a person again to the point of repentance, then you have to be renewed. If it was possible, then you have to do it. You have to work it out. You have to start getting busy. You have to repent from all of your sins, and you have to obey all the commands of God. If it was possible, then you have to live a life of either being blessed by God or being cursed by God. And you'll be blessed by God when you are obedient to all of his commandments, but you will be cursed by God if you do not live a life of obedience to all of the commandments. So I believe that the writer is saying that if it was possible, then this is how you're going to end up living. But because it is not possible, there is no way to live this way. There is no way to apply verses 7 and 8 to a Christian's life. There's no way to do it. There's no way for this to have any application in your life. Because it's not possible It's not possible to be renewed to the point of repentance. It's not possible to again crucify to yourself the Son of God and then put him to an open shame. This is not going to be possible. If it was possible, then go for it. Go for verses 7 and 8. Try to be blessed, but you're definitely going to be cursed. You understand the point? That's the point. It's the point of realizing that if it was possible, then this is how you've got to live. Then you've got to do it then this is the Christian life, if it was possible for that to be. Then you have to get busy. Now, you have to understand that the writer is writing to the Hebrews. And the Hebrews were struggling with this, big time. 
When you read through the historical account given to us in the book of Acts, you can see that the people in Jerusalem, the people in Israel, the people who were recognized as Hebrews, to include those who were throughout the Gentile world, they were struggling with the subject of the law. They were struggling with the subject of salvation. They were struggling with how do you now live the Christian life? In Acts chapter 15, for example, the church in Jerusalem were arguing over whether or not the Gentiles had to live in obedience to the law of Moses. They certainly believed that they had to live in obedience to the law of Moses, and so that should be an indicator to you that the Jews, the Hebrews, were struggling with this very issue of what is salvation, what is the gospel. The Apostle Paul mentions this many times in his letters where he says that his gospel is different from the gospel that was being proclaimed by the people in Jerusalem by other people who were sent out from the people in Jerusalem, that there were different Gospels that were being communicated throughout the Christian world. And if there are different Gospels that are being communicated, then there are different Christian lifestyles. There are different ways of believing. How do you now live the Christian life after you have been saved? There were significant differences The writer writing this letter is writing to Hebrews who definitely would be struggling with this. They would be living a life of repentance and obedience. And the writer here is saying it is impossible to be renewed again to a point of repentance and obedience. Because if it was possible, you have to expect Jesus to die for your sins again. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to people who believe that. And he's telling them, look, let's move on from the milk of the scriptures. Let's move on from these basic fundamentals of the Christian life. Let's recognize that eternal judgment has been executed already. It was executed on the Lord Jesus. All sin was judged within and through him. The only judgment that's going to be executed is, did you believe, did you receive, and did you embrace, did you trust and rely on what Jesus did for you, or did you not? And if you didn't, if you don't, then go to hell, because there's no other place for you. Because that's where Jesus is. He's in heaven. And if you're not going to believe him, if you're not going to believe in him, if you're not going to embrace him for who he is, then there's no place for you there. There's no relationship for you there. And so the writer has to make this clear. He has to write to these people. And if they're not going to believe in the crucifixion, if they're not going to believe that it is impossible to be renewed again, because you're already there. And if you're there, you can never lose where you are. You can never go away from where you are. You can never lose your salvation. If you're not going to embrace that, then there's no alternative but to go back to the law. There's no alternative. You have to go back to the old covenant because you don't believe the new, because you have not embraced the new, and you're not going to, apparently. And so you have no choice but to go back and try to live a life of holiness and righteousness and pray that you can bring forth enough fruit through your labor, through your toil of your soil, so that you can avoid the cursings of God. But again, you end up back in the same covenant, which was a covenant that was given for the purpose of leading a person to the point of recognizing their hopelessness, their helplessness, and to recognize that there is no way that they can ever be saved. But if you don't believe that, then you need to stick with that a little longer, obviously, until you do believe it. 
That is the division here in Hebrews chapter 6, a separation between verses 4 through 6 and 7 through 8. In verse 9, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Let me start with, though we are speaking in this way. What is this way that he is speaking? He is speaking in the sense of either you believe what is possible or you don't believe what is possible. You believe what is impossible or you don't believe what is impossible. He is making it very clear that he's saying he is speaking in the way of saying, look, you've got to believe that it is impossible to lose your salvation or you believe that it is possible to lose your salvation. And if you do believe that it is possible to lose your salvation, well, you better start working your ground. You better start tilling your soil. You had better hope that you can produce good fruit. But that is not the truth. That is not the reality of the Christian life. So that's what I believe he is saying when he says, though we are speaking in this way. The way, the way is to make a clear division between those who truly embrace salvation and those who do not truly embrace salvation. That is the way in which he is speaking. He is leaving no stone unturned. He is either going to bridge the gap or make it as wide as possible. There is a clear division, a clear distinction between the saved and the lost, those who believe in what Jesus did and those who don't really believe in what he did. But then going back into verse 9 a little bit further where he says, and things that accompany salvation. He's talking about the fact that you have salvation and that there are things that accompany salvation that are a part of the salvation that you have, or the implications of the salvation that you have. He's talking to believers, talking to people who are saved, or think they are saved, but really aren't, and he's making a division between the two. Again, in verse 9, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Better things than what? Better things than verse 7 and 8. Anything would be better than that. What do I mean by that? Well, in verse 7 and 8, you're hopeless. You are totally, absolutely hopeless. You might as well just pack it up and forget the Christian life entirely. Go somewhere else. Spend your time drinking, eating, being merry, indulge your flesh, because you've got nothing else. That's the point. He says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things, because those things are not better Those things are really bad. They're horrible. Trying to live a life that you cannot live is really depressing, is really bad. But he says, but, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you that is different things. What are these things? These are things that accompany salvation. What salvation? The salvation that you have. The salvation that you already have. In verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Well, what is the end? Well, the end is salvation. That's the end. It's also the beginning. But the end is the end 
of this life of trying to live a life of repentance and obedience. That's the end. The end is to recognize that you have been saved and to receive the love that he has for you and to share that love with others. That is the work that we engage in after we have come to the end and after we have received the salvation that he has for us. Again, in verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown. What he means is is that if you're going to believe that you start out in the Christian life and then fall away and then he forgets you, that's not going to be the case. He is not going to just forget you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you in a condition where you have lost salvation, where you no longer have a place in this kingdom. He's not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense. If you reach the end of your life of being lost to the point of being saved, which is a new beginning, and you begin to rest in, trust in, embrace, and live with the abundance of the love that he has for you, it's going to change your life, and you're going to bring forth fruit, the fruit of God. He is going to grow you. He is going to manifest himself within and through you. And when he does that, he's not going to forget that. He's not going to just throw that away. Again in verse 10, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. He's not going to do that. And we desire, in verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. He's saying, first of all, that this hope of to the end, he is praying, he's desiring that everyone would embrace this, that some of them are definitely falling in the category of believing that they may lose their position with God or that they have to live a life of obedience to the commandments that they will never be able to live. And he's saying, look, I pray, I desire that you will show the same diligence of belief to the end, which is to the point of salvation, and that you will then continue to live your life in Christ Jesus firm until the end of your life, to that end as well. There are a couple of ends that I believe can be seen in these verses. Whichever one you would prefer, I see them both. But if you would prefer to see the end of your life in salvation, you can know that he is not going to forget. He's not going to forget your work and the love which you have shown. And so there's no way for you to lose your position with him. In verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises And he gives the example of Abraham, who definitely had a few shortcomings in his life, a few points in his life where he didn't really believe, as you would have thought that he would have believed. But that, again, is for another time. I am out of time for this broadcast, but I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.